through 15. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in gratitude and humility for who you are and what you have done. While we were still sinners, you chose to forgive us and give us grace and mercy through Jesus. We can love and forgive because you have done so first. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides and convicts us faithfully for your glory and for our good to make us more like Christ. We can walk in freedom from the bondage of sin because of you. So as we open your word today, we ask that you speak your love and truth through, through Pastor Matt. Use him to reveal yourself and show us our blind spots of hard hearts or apathy toward you and toward others. We thank you and praise you that we can walk in peace and love as we rely upon and submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Barb. Well, today we are talking through forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that is uh, easy to understand and hard to enact. Uh, I'm going to give you some, uh, some scenarios here that maybe help put this into light. These are, people, these are all people I know. Um, I'm changing their names for the sake of them. Um, but Lydia, Lydia was a godly young woman. She uh, found a young man who uh, seemed to be on some level pursuing Christ. And Lydia and, her, uh, and this young man got decided to uh, get engaged Leading up to the day of their wedding, the night before their wedding, uh, Lydia uh, gets a call and finds out that her fiancé has committed adultery on the night before their wedding. She calls off the wedding, and Lydia and her fiancé never get married. Mike 
Mike's mom is an addict. Mike's mom has boyfriends in and out of their house. And when Mike was just uh, four and his older brother was uh, five and his little sister was three, uh, Mike's mom, in a bit of paranoia, set the house on fire, burning their house down, um, causing it to where Mike can no longer live with his mom and his sister had burns over 80% of her body. Julie. Julie got married at 19, and uh, her and her husband, uh, um, Paul, they love Jesus, and they're following Jesus, and they're going to the church and engaging in the church. Um, but over the years, uh, uh, something happens. They want children, and they're desiring children, and they're pursuing children, but infertility uh, keeps coming up over and over and over again so that Julie and Paul never feel like they're going to have children, and they're, conf- they're sharing this with a spiritual leader who tells them that the reason why they don't have children is because they're probably harboring secret sin in their heart and that they need to let it go. Craig's dad is emotionally abusive and physically abusive. He beats on him and his siblings and sometimes his mom. There's me. I have a mom who abandoned a family at a young age who decided to, uh, to, to use drugs and was in and out of jail, constantly um, living in that state. All of these people have had hurt done to them. All of these people have been, on some level, punched in their life and have had harm caused to them. So what do we do when people hurt us? What do we do when people have caused pain in our life and we're not sure what to do we, with it. Well, this text tells us what our flesh wants to do. In fact, you can see it starting in verse 9. There are things that Paul recognizes that are within our flesh that are pretty obvious, pretty normal for us to happen. He says, first of all, put off. He said, he's going to talk about putting off, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But he says, don't let anger live in your life. Anger, this, this word anger here in the Greek, it's the word for swelling up or maturing, like a fruit that's swelling up or maturing. Don't let anger swell up in your life or or like a fruit. Don't let anger mature, become like a full-fledged fruit in your life. He goes on to explain what what a full-fledged swelled up anger will look like in your life. It will look like, for some people, it will look like wrath. Wrath here is passionate rage. This is what the word means. Any of you guys who've ever experienced wrath, you know it looks like yelling, screaming, sometimes physical violence. Malice, this is the ill will, seething um, anger that people have towards one another. It's bearing a grudge. It's looking for every way at every turn to cause hurt towards somebody else. There's slander, which isn't a really good, we don't have a real good easy translation here because slander, the way we use slander is to lie about. And that is part of what it means here, but um, it really comes from the same root word that we get blaspheme from, which is to specifically, it's to tear down another's reputation, to speak shame into their life. This is what we want to do when people hurt us. We want to swell up with anger. We want to have wrath. We want to um, have, have passionate rage. We want, we want to seethe with anger, have ill will, bear grudges. We want to slander. We want to tear the other person's reputation down. down. Next, we see obscene talk. This might not be what you think it is. This is less about four-letter words and more about speaking uh, horrible and abusive things to another person. 
In fact, the word here should probably be translated as abusive language. And then finally, to lie. That is to exaggerate or bend or outright lie, uh, exaggerate, bend the truth or outright lie in order to cause someone else's harm. This is something that we as humans, when harm is done to us, all of us on some level want to go down these paths. And I'll explain how those paths manifest themselves out differently as we go through this. We'll see, there, I think there are three different ways that people express um, uh, a, the, these things when they're hurt in their flesh. They either clam up, they store up, or they blow up. Now these are um, not, well, one of these is exclusive to, uh, to me, but you've probably heard these before. Clam up. This is somebody who turns their anger inward. They have implosive anger. In fact, they do some mental jujitsu to, to, uh, on themselves to, make, to find a way that every time something bad has happened to them, it's their fault. So they say, hey, something bad happened to me. Uh, uh, somebody did something terrible to me. And they'll go through a whole process to figure out why this was actually their fault and not someone else's fault. These, these clam up people, they're oftentimes given to depression, self-hate, sometimes self-harm. And uh, ultimately, you can find them at their end state oftentimes, which is the dissociated of numbness, where they're basically blanking out on life. These people, um, when you look at these, these qualities, what are they, what, which qualities are they embodying? Well, they rage inwardly at themselves, sometimes even verbally at themselves. Sometimes they even harm themselves physically. They use abusive language about themselves all the time. Stupid, skip, stupid. Mumble, you ever, you ever find yourself in this place or you've seen this in someone you love or care about? And they lie to themselves. They don't tell themselves the truth. Good example would be, um, uh, an example might be this. Uh, you know what? I shouldn't have said what I said or he wouldn't have hit me. They're, they're lying to themselves. These are people who... Uh, they have lots of anger, but instead of putting that anger outward, they turn all the anger inward, and they, they end up caught living in this place of, like I said, depression, self-hate, self-harm, and sometimes just dissociative numbness. Then there are those when harm happens to them, they store up. These are people who contain their anger, or they do their best to contain their anger, um, but they, uh, but, and, and they store it up. And they look for uh, the right ways, the right cultural expressions to express that anger. They might have a bitter attitude. You know, when, you know when you're talking to someone and you mention the name of someone else and you see their face immediately contort with anger? Their heart, they, they have this bitter attitude towards someone else. They avoid those people. They look for every way to never be around them. You might, they might have to be in the same room at times, but they act, they're just like ships passing in the night. They don't acknowledge each other. People who, people who store up anger, they learn to be fake. That when they're, when they're forced to be at a table or in a conversation with them, they learn to smile and nod and act like everything's okay. And when they do attack the other person, they do it usually indirectly. They, they harbor malice. They seek to slander or blasphemo the other person by tearing down their reputation indirectly from, uh, uh, from around the corner. They sometimes lie or manipulate others in order to cause the other person harm. It looks like people holding grudges. By the way, this is most common in churchy people. If you, uh, if you're a church, if you want to know what a churchy person is, it's a person who's been in church for a long time. That might, that might be you. 
This is the most common, this is the most common way that you see fleshly anger manifested in the body of Christ. Then there's the blow-up, which is, by the way, the least common. You, you find these people super, not, not as often. These are people who are, who are rage-filled screamers, sometimes given to physical violence or physical intimidation. They are actively harming. This is the most unacceptable in society and in the church. It causes destruction, compounds pain. And these are, uh, if uh, the, the, the store-up people are, are, uh, are angry quietly, these people are angry out loud. And Paul says for us to put off these things. Now, this is a, not a super common word. It's not the, Paul uses a similar language in the book of Ephesians, but he doesn't use this same word for put off. This word means to disarm or to, uh, or to strip or to renounce. The picture, the thing of it like this is you're take, uh, if you're disarming, you're taking your weapons off and you're, putting, you're, you're, you're taking them away. You're saying, I'm disarming myself with, from these things. Then he says to put on the new self. So take these things off and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Your mind is being conformed uh, to the image of its creator. This is what we see in verse 10. In verse 11, we, we see that the new self, it, it, when we put on the new self, all the old battle lines, all the old cultural issues, those are all go by the wayside because we are all new creations in Christ, no matter what background we come from. Because just so you know, who are we least likely to give grace to? It's people who we have a natural cultural or uh, hatred to, people who we naturally other, not, we naturally put outside of the, of the congregation of the righteous. We not, uh, um, but Paul is saying, no, we are all, all in Christ. We all put on the new self. So all these old battle lines are gone. Now getting into verse 12, it says to put on, um, to, so to put on this new self as elect, you'll see your Bible might say chosen ones or elect, holy and beloved. So we're, we're to put on, we're to put on the new self as people who are elect, uh, uh, holy and beloved. By the way, for those of you who are in Christ, who are in here or trusting Jesus, these are to be the core of our identity. The core of our identity is that we, we understand that we are elect, we are holy, and we are beloved. Now, let's, let's, under, let's unpack what that means. Let's, let's understand elect. The word elect means that God, uh, from the foundations of before time, he knew you, he knew, uh, he knew all your sinfulness, he knew all your brokenness, he knew all the terrible things that you would do, he knew about the things that you did in your bedroom at night by yourself, he knew about the, all those errant thoughts that you had, he knows about every single terrible word you have said, you will and you will say. He knows all of it. And yet, though he knows all, though he, he, in his, he, he decided that while you were still an enemy, to die for you, forgiving you of your sins, paying your sin debt while you're his enemy. God decided uh, from before the foundations of the earth to show you his love. Now, there's a deeper questions about election, and uh, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to dive into that right now. If you want to, we can talk about that after the service. But he says, you are elect. God knew you. He knows your sinfulness. He knows all about you. And he still forgave you, even while you were still an enemy. Then he says, you are holy. Not only does God forgive our sins, but he unites himself to us. That means he is, not, he is not just saying to you, you're forgiven, but he is uniting himself to us, giving us his righteousness, his holiness, so that before God, that when, when we stand before the Father, God looks at you and he sees 
the holiness of Christ because you have been united to him in the same way that a husband's wife, uh, bank account and a wife's bank account merge together when they get married so that what is one is the other's. In the same way, when we are united to Christ, Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And then we see beloved. The beauty of the gospel is not just that God knew, our, knew in our sins while we were still enemies of him. He came, he lived the perfect life, and he went to the cross to die on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to God. He forgave us of our sins even while we were still his enemy. And not only has he united himself to us, but now when we walk with Christ, when we live in him, we understand ourselves to be beloved by God. When God looks at me and you, he sees the righteous. He sees us like he sees his beloved child. He relishes you. He loves you. He is delighted in you because of Jesus. The beauty of this, this picture here is, is actually quite reminiscent of what he's calling us to do here. You see, while we were still enemies, before we had done anything, Christ forgave us. That's the picture of election. Though he knew our sin, though we had counted the cost, he still died on our behalf, forgiving us. Now, he has give, in giving us his holiness, the, the picture here is he has reconciled to us. He has united us to himself. There has been reconciliation. And as reconciliation does its work, relationship begins to be restored between us and God. And when our relationship between us and God is restored, we begin to see ourselves as beloved. Now, we'll unpack that more as we go through. But the, uh, uh, when we embrace our new identity in Christ, it changes us from the inside out. And it changes the way that w our hearts should respond when hurt happens to us, because inevitably we live in a world full of sinners, including us, and we will sin against others, and others will sin against us, and we are going to have to figure out how to negotiate uh, forgiveness in a world like this if we are ever to resemble Christ. So instead of putting on the flesh, the, these things, that, these, these issues of the flesh that we said before, like anger and malice and uh, wrath and all these things, he says in our new identity, Christ can come in and change us from the inside out when we understand that we are elect, holy, and beloved. So instead of exploding with wrath, we can now begin to overflow with kindness. Instead of swelling up with anger, we can be filled with compassion. This is what we see in verse, here in verse 13 or verse 12. Instead of harboring malice, we can patiently bear with others in their sin. Instead of slandering others and tearing down the reputation, we can, in humility, put others before ourselves. Instead of using abusive language to destroy, we can use gentle speech to restore. This is, this is what he is calling us to. He's calling us to put on the new self, and, the, and in the new self, our new garments, the new way we live, we live as someone who, uh, when, when hurt happens to us, our hearts react differently. And instead of harboring wrath, instead of seeking to appease our anger in some way, shape, or form, it says, it, when you have a complaint against someone, forgive each other. So let's, let, me, let me just make that in clear, clear layman's terms. It says, if anyone has been hurt by another, forgive each other. Now, I, I think that the church has done a very, very poor job uh, over the last 50, 60 years, not, not historically, but in recent history of helping, to, helping believers to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. So I'm going to start by defining what forgiveness isn't. 
You see, because there's an idea of forgiveness out there. Um, I like to call it cheap grace. This is, this is when a church, a pastor, or a counselor, or somebody tells you to forgive because, purely because it will be better for you. To forgive uh, 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 because, because you, you, ju- you just need to, because the Bible commands it. Cheap grace doesn't actually count the cost of the pain. It, it, it doesn't count it, uh, nor does it pay it. It simply papers over the wound that has been caused. I like to think of it like this. Like when somebody hurts you, they cause, they cause a hole in your life. They cause pain. And cheap grace says, uh, uh, and that pain is just oozing out all sorts of hurt in, into your life. If you're the implosive person, it will, co- it, will, it will cause you to clam up and have all sorts of implosive anger towards each other. If you're the seether, it'll cause you to seethe. If, it, if you're somebody who explodes with anger, that, those holes in your life will cause you to be exploding with anger. And cheap grace says, here you go. Fixed it for you. You're good. No more problem. No more pain. It's all good. When you paper over a wound like this, we pretend like everything is good. And we we tell ourselves, I've forgiven. I've let it go. It's fine. I'm done with it. You want, you want to know how you might know if you've papered over, if you've had this sort of cheap grace forgiveness? If you never really counted the cost and you never truly went through and actually in your heart walked through the pain that was caused to you and paid that debt in your heart, then you likely have just uh, 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 papered over the problem in your life. And one symptom of that is when anybody, uh, like, like when, when there's a pain, like when there's a hole like this, here's how you know when, uh, uh, when, when you haven't really worked through forgiveness. If, anything, if anybody comes anywhere near that pain, you tend to react in a pretty, uh, I, I would say, pro- probably an irrational way. So it, let's just imagine some, somebody has caused you pain. Maybe you have a father wound in your life and you have a father who um, did certain things and, then so, and you say, you've forgiven your dad and you're, you say, yes, I've forgiven my dad. But then somebody presses on this and they, maybe they have a demeanor just like your father's or they have some sort of pain like that and, uh, and, and they, they punch through the, the pain there and then it begins to leak out um, all over the place. Maybe you have an a, a, a ex-spouse wound where there is, an, there is an ex-spouse in your life who you have, uh, uh, you have papered over. You said, uh, you said you've forgiven them, but you have never genuinely walked through the process of forgiveness, of counting the cost and paying the cost. And you pretended like it's okay, but the second somebody, the second you see that ex-spouse, all of a sudden your heart tends to inflame with anger. And it tends, everything tends to leak out, and you tend to have all these sorts of problems in your life over and over again. So there's, there's cheap grace, and we, we, we talked a little bit about that. Then there's if-then forgiveness. This is another type of forgiveness that lives in our world. If-then forgiveness says something like this. If you do X, then I will forgive you. This isn't, by the way, forgiveness. This is actually negotiated peace. And in this scenario, you can only ever move to a place of forgiveness and peace if the other person is repentant. And the truth is, is that a lot of times people aren't repentant. Maybe the person who hurt you is no longer living. I guess you're going to live at, with anger with them for the rest of your life then. No, there, there, there's cheap grace, which is kind of 
in the, in, the, in the Christian therapeutic world and in the, just the general therapeutic world. And honestly, the, that, that cheap grace, uh, uh, like a lot of times a pastor will rush to have somebody forgive someone else because they just want peace in their congregation rather than saying, let's walk through this, let's process this, let's count the cost, let's pay the cost, let's work towards re- reconciliation and restoration. We say, we do like a parent does with their child. We say, um, when, a, when one child punches another child and we say, hey, Timmy, tell Mike you're sorry. And he's like, I'm sorry. And Mike, you tell Timmy you forgive him. I forgive you. And then we're like, okay, it's all good now. Neither one of those kids' hearts were repentant. Neither one of, that kid wasn't sorry. That kid wasn't forgiving. Right, as soon as you leave, those people are going to be at each other, those kids are going to be at each other's throats again. In the same way, when we sort of force a cheap grace on people, People's hearts, are, are, people's, people's hearts aren't really equipped to handle that. And it leaks out. People act, when, when you find somebody acting irrationally, it's usually because they have a papered over wound in their life and they don't know why, but for some reason, these things keep coming out in weird ways in their life. So let's talk about what costly forgiveness is, the kind of forgiveness that, 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 uh, that Paul is exhorting us to, to live out here, that Jesus exhorts us to live out. This is forgiveness that counts the cost. Now, you don't count the cost for the sake of, uh, 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 of like, you know, keeping a record of evils, but you can't, if you don't know what you're forgiving, then it's really hard to forgive. A good example is, is if you say, it, like, like it, it, if you say, oh, I've forgiven that, but then later you remember something you didn't think about when you forgave that, now that hole is bigger. So you count the cost, you work through the problem, you understand, okay, this, there's a big gaping hole in my life and that big gaping hole in my life has to do with the pain that was caused and you understand what parts you own. There's sometimes, usually, in a, oftentimes in a conflict, there are parts of the conflict that you need to own yourself and there are parts of the conflict you don't need to own and you need to let those go. And when you're working through forgiveness, you need to understand that and area, the areas that you need to own, you need to repent of and you need to confess to the person who has harmed you or you have harmed but on the flip side, when you, when you forgive, you're doing this regardless of the other person's action. Just like Jesus in his election, regard, before we did, made any action towards him, he forgave us. In the same way, we are showing, electing forgiveness towards them. We are forgiving them before they make any action towards us. So we count the cost. We know what, we know what the pain they have cost. And then after we've counted the cost, just like the parable of the unmerciful servant, Instead of saying, pay me that debt that you owe me, we pay the cost ourselves. You guys remember the parable of the unmerciful servant? He owed uh, the highest denomination and the highest, like it, literally Jesus uses the highest number that was in their language that was easily usable and he uses the highest denomination. So he's like, you owed like a gazillion dollars. That's basically what he said um, to, to a king. And the king, he said, you say, king, I can't pay it. I can't pay it. And the king forgives your debt. And the, you guys remember then there must, the servant goes out and he's wringing the neck of another guy for 100 denarii. The picture here is you count the cost. You know what the cost is that somebody, that somebody owes you and you pay the debt yourself. And then you move forward and heal. This is the picture that we see in, in, in Scripture. When we enact costly forgiveness in our lives, feelings follow convictions. 
So when you're, when you're making the, uh, a conviction, when you understand that you're harboring hatred or harboring hurt towards somebody, when you understand these sorts of things, you, you move towards forgiveness. And as you move towards forgiveness, you, uh, you do that convictionally. Sometimes your feelings lag behind. And then you make, you make promises before the Lord. You make a promise when you've forgiven somebody not to use the thing that they've done to you against them in the future. You're not dredging up old wounds. I've forgiven that. You make a promise not to gossip or slander them. You make a promise not to dwell on their sin, to constantly rehearse the sin that they've done to you and your, to yourself over and over and over and over again. You make a promise to yourself to seek their good. Now that sounds hard, right? Well, how do you seek their good? First, you pray for them. Second, sometimes seeking their good means taking actions to prevent them from continuing to hurt others. I'll give you an example. If somebody has, uh, if, if there's somebody out there abusing others, like, like actually maybe physically or, or in any other way, causing serious abuse to others, you need to forgive that person. But in, pray, in seeking their good, oftentimes that means calling the authorities and saying, this person is, is, is abusing people. That is seeking their good. That is preventing evil from pervading in their life, just so you know. That is not doing evil against them. Sometimes the church has messed this up. And I just want to be clear, that is not okay. When people do evil, that, 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 uh, uh, when people are in an evil state like this, and when we forgive them so, and, seek, and we're seeking their good, sometimes the very best thing we can do is to, uh, is, is to bring their sin um, before others so that it will prevent them from sin and hopefully bring them to repentance. And then we seek reconciliation and restoration when appropriate and possible. Now, there are so, some very small situations where it might be inappropriate, but, and we won't get into those, but... When, when it's possible, you seek reconciliation. Now, what does reconciliation require? Forgiveness just requires you. Reconciliation requires two parties. It requires repentance on the other person's part. Restoration requires relationship and time. So we want to move from forgiveness towards reconciliation and from reconciliation towards restoration. When we, when, when we do that, we're showing the glory of Christ on how, uh, and how Christ is able to bring former enemies back together as one in Christ. You think of it this way, God's election is his forgiveness um, beforehand. That, like I said, that precedes repentance. Reconciliation, um, that requires our repentance when we, we receive his holiness only when we repent of our sins, Right? And when we walk in a right relationship with, with Christ, we, we see ourselves and we understand ourselves to be beloved in him. In the same way that our, that our, that's how our relationship with Christ works, that's how we're called to operate in our horizontal relationships. So how do we do this? First of all, search your heart out. Uh, this is where I would encourage you to talk to your spouse if you have a spouse. Talk to your parents if they're in here. Talk to your close friends and search your heart out and say, ask yourselves, is there any bitterness in my heart? Are there people who I have bitterness towards? I was talking with someone this week who, said, who, who told me a story of how they were saying, I don't have bitterness towards this person. No, 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 I don't have any bitterness towards this person. What are you talking about? And their friend 
kindly said, the way you're speaking right now kind of tells me a different story. Sometimes we need our friends just to hold up a mirror in front of us and say, I think you are, I think you are struggling with some bitterness, with some anger. We search out our hearts. We, we come to the Lord. We say, God, search me, know me, show me iniquity within me. You, you confess your sins to your brothers, and you ask brothers and sisters, trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, say, do you see areas of unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart? And when you, when you spy out those areas, when you understand those areas, you begin the process of costly forgiveness. And the, you do that, like I said, by counting the cost, right, and paying the debt and moving forward towards healing. Now, how do we get the power to do that? Well, I think there are three ways we should look in this. First, we look back to the cross. That's where Paul initially tells us to look. He says, just as Christ has forgiven you, you forgive others. We look back to the cross. We, we remember the, uh, the, the 10 million denarii that we owed God, right? We, we remember the incredible sin debt that we committed against him and how he forgave us even while we were still sinners. And that, that, that helps us to have perspective on the sin that's been committed against us. Second, we look up and we realize that God, in, in Christ, we have everything we need. You are elect, holy, and beloved. That all things that you need in this life, God will provide. That no weapon that has been formed against you will prosper. No hole that has been punched into your life, yeah, there's no hole that God punched in your life that God can't turn and redeem for your good and his glory. Third, we look forward. This is probably the, 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 the most, I think, one of the most important steps. We look forward and we, and, uh, we look forward to the day uh, when God's justice will be enacted perfectly. We know that there will be a day when everything that is done in private will be made public, that every sin that has ever been committed will be punished, that, that just, perfect justice will be meted out perfectly. So therefore, when we, uh, uh, when, by the way, when we're, when, we're, when we're harboring wrath, harboring anger, what are we doing in that moment? We are trying to enact justice in our hearts. We are trying to balance the scales. But when we know that God in heaven sees all, knows all, and will enact a perfect judgment in, in the long term, that's what we see at the end of Romans chapter 12. Do not repay evil for evil, but leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for God's perfect, holy, just anger against sin. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we look forward to God's perfect justice. And then when, when we look these three directions, when we look back at who we were um, uh, apart from Christ, when we look up to Christ right now, we realize that he is giving us everything we need today, that no, no pain, no hurt that's in our life, God, there's no pain that God can't use to, to conform us to his image. And we look forward believing that God's, just, God's justice will never be thwarted. Then that allows us to look out and repay evil with good. To, to genuinely forgive, to stop the cycle, uh, to stop a cycle of violence and hatred, but to look at other, to other people and see them as fellow sinners in need of grace and to pay the debt that they owe you. Now, there's a warning in this passage and in others. I mean, I think every time we talk about forgiving others, Jesus says it at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We see it at the end of the parable of the unrepentant sinner, and we see it even here. As followers of Jesus, when we've received the grace of God, one of the practical effects of receiving the grace of God is that we will forgive others. And if we are unwilling to forgive others, if, that, if that's not a process we are willing or wanting to engage in us, it's likely that, that Christ's love, Christ's forgiveness, hasn't truly rooted itself in our, rooted itself in our lives. 
And if that's the case, then we are not his. We might believe that Jesus rose, rose from the dead, but we haven't truly given ourselves to him. We are still seeking to be the king of our own life. Jesus commands us and he encourages us and he knows it's for our good that we would forgive others. There are all sorts of side benefits to forgiving others. All those, those therapeutic benefits that people talk about, absolutely, when you forgive others, those things go away. As someone who's had to forgive much in my life, I can tell you that for a long time I felt like I was carrying around a weight on my shoulder spiritually. And uh, having this big hole in my life that was kicked in by my mom, not being there, not being a part of my life, abandoning us, causing all sorts of pain and hurt in my, my own heart. Having that, ha having that hole in my life, for a long time I didn't want to forgive. I wanted her to feel on some level something of what she, she was owed. But when I trusted in Jesus, I recognized that while I was still a sinner, while I was sinning against God, while I was an enemy of God, God loved me. And that, and that in forgiving my mom, not only, does it, not only did it um, provide a po the possibility of reconciliation and ultimately restoration, but it also, it also provided, provided me with a place for, uh, with space for my heart to actually begin to thrive, to be, begin to flourish. So my hope is, is that if you're in here, and you're dealing with this, that you would let, that you would let go of that, that today you would call that person. Maybe, maybe right now an action step for you would be to take that person's name and to write it down that you know you have anger towards. Maybe there's a family member you haven't talked to in years. Maybe there's a, uh, a person in your life that you are harboring resentment towards. And to, uh, uh, and to keep, keep that person's name in your mind and to, to remember them, not, not to rehearse their evils against you, but to remember them in light of the blood of Christ and to pay the debt. And to, and to move towards forgiveness. It's not easy. But I, I believe that it is one of the very best things as followers of Jesus we can do. So, kind of moving forward, I just want to finish with this. If you're in here and you would say, yes, I believe in Jesus, and yes, I, I, I have an understanding of the faith, but I, I, I have never genuinely seen myself as someone who's elect someone who's holy, someone who's beloved by God. I don't know that I've actually ever given myself to him, heart, mind, and soul. If that's you today, I, believe it or not, God is willing and wanting to offer his forgiveness to you for all your sin and to call you his son, to give you his righteousness, to unite with you, to uh, allow you to be beloved in the son. So my hope and my prayer is, is that today you would accept his offer of grace. And then as a follower of Jesus, you would put on the new self and embody grace in a world that is dark and twisted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us to walk faithfully? Would you help us to live as followers of you? People who show grace and share grace in all that we do. Lord, for those of us who have big gaping holes in our life, where people have hurt us, where people have caused pain in our life. Lord Jesus, I pray that God, you would help us to recognize that God, nothing they can do or nothing we can do in ourselves can, can bring healing there, but Lord, only you can. God, you can heal our wounds. God, you can redeem our brokenness. God, you can make us new. Lord Jesus, I pray that God, you would help us to live in that reality 
not demanding from others what they could never give us anyway. And Lord Jesus, I pray that God, you would help us to genuinely overcome evil with good. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.